Well, I recently got to visit my family uh, in my hometown. I grew up in Great Falls, Montana. And it's an odd feeling going back to your hometown, especially when you've been away from it for some time, because things that were once familiar are less familiar than they used to be. Things change. People come and go. Uh, even buildings go up, and new ones do, that is, and old buildings are torn down. And, and during my visit, uh, my family and I went to a familiar restaurant, a restaurant that we visited and frequented many times for me growing up. Uh, but I was shocked when I walked into the building to find out that the entire building was, was renovated on the inside. Nothing was familiar on the inside, and, and that was a shock to me. But my wife had a greater disappointment to discover that her favorite restaurant in town was closed altogether. All these changes take place even when we are unaware of them. But for all these changes, there are still the familiar sights that I love. I have some pictures for you of my hometown. Uh, Great Falls is actually, it gets its name for the, the waterfalls uh, that are, are throughout the Missouri River there in the area. There are five cascading waterfalls along the Missouri there as it goes through Great Falls. Um, before Great Falls was established as a city, it's, it's a strange thing to remember that the Lord had established the foundations of the earth, and these waterfalls are a testament of what existed before my hometown existed. Uh, the next picture I have is actually probably just five-minute drive from the house I grew up in, and so I got to walk along the familiar trail there along the river uh, while I went and visited, and it was, it was truly remarkable to see God's creation and glory and what he has done. And one might take a certain amount of comfort in knowing that there are some things, despite all the other changes, there are some things that do not change. But our text this morning speaks of a greater comfort and the one who will never change. We're in the sixth Old Testament quote here done by the author of Hebrews. This time he's quoting Psalm 102 to show us who Jesus is. And this, this is what he says in quoting Psalm 102. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Now, if we isolate this text from the, the rest of the context going on around this, we're going to be left probably trying to speculate about what the end of the world is going to be like when the creation is rolled up like a garment and, and changed. But this is far from the intent of what the author of Hebrews wants us to consider this morning. The writer of Hebrews has been introducing to us the Son who speaks on behalf of God the Father so that when trials come our way, we would endure in the faith. That's the purpose of this. Hebrews opens up by introducing the Son, this messenger of God, in this way. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And so already he wants to see the Son as one who is superior to the prophets. But not just superior to the prophets. Skip ahead to verse 4. He's also become much more superior to the angels, those agents by which the, the word of God came to Moses. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And from there, the author launches into a description of who Jesus is by comparing and contrasting him to the angels, that he is far more superior than, than them. 
And so he strings together these seven Old Testament quotations to try to show us who Jesus is in comparison to the angels, only to lead us to this first exhortation that we're coming to in Hebrews chapter 2. After showing us who Jesus is in contrast to the angels, he said, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So this is the end to which our text this morning is pointing us to, that we would look to Jesus and listen to Jesus and not neglect what he has said. So far from being a, a speculative scripture about the end of the world or even a trivial passage about who Jesus is, the writer of Hebrews is giving us doctrine about who Christ is that is intended to shape every aspect of our life so that we might not drift away from Christ, but instead we might be able to stand firm on him. So with this, in context, this context in mind, let's look again at this morning's text starting in verse 10. He says, And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So from this verse, we can first see that the Son, Jesus Christ, is God, the Creator. This demonstrates already the greatness of Jesus over the angels that we've already seen demonstrated time and time again. But once again, we see this theme continued, that Jesus is superior, far superior than the angels, because Jesus, unlike the angels, is the one who created everything. Now, I don't want us to mistake that, make any mistake in thinking that angels are small, weak creatures. When you read of the angelic messengers throughout the Bible, we get the sense that these are grand and majestic beings. But they are creatures, no less, made by Jesus Christ who made even the heavens in which they inhabit. Jesus in relation to the angels is superior, but also then, what is Jesus in relation to us who are made lower than the angels? You see, whenever we do anything that we deem to be great or worthy of praise, we're pretty quick to, to boast about all that we have done. In our efforts, as, efforts as, as homemakers or in our work, careers, our businesses, we are tempted to try to make a name for ourselves. Do you feel this urge to, to boast in your successes? Well, if so, I want you to consider just how feeble you and I are in comparison to Jesus Christ who has made the heavens and the earth. Think about this uh, next time you maybe go on a plane or if you've been on one, you've seen this and experienced this. I like to sit next to the window on a plane and look out the window as the plane takes off as, as the cars look more and more like hot wheels on tracks. And as the plane continues to climb up into the night sky, the cities down below turn into small circuit boards but imagine, if you will, that that plane continued to descend even higher and higher yet beyond the atmosphere. Flying further from the earth, soon our planet would resemble that but a little blueberry that we would eat with just one bite. Only to soon disappear as it continues to go further and further away from the earth as it itself is outshone by the glory of the sun. And think, too, what the sun would be if you continued to go further and further away. What would it be in comparison to all the other stars in our Milky Way? And then what is our galaxy in comparison to the billions of galaxies that the Lord created? You see, you and I are, are like nothing in comparison to the vast worlds that God created. 
And so I wonder, if you listen to what the the heavens are declaring, and you heard me right, listen to what the heavens are declaring. This is what what Psalm 19 says, Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare, they are speaking, the heavens, they declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. I wonder if you hear what they proclaim. These heavenly preachers are more eloquent than any person. But on a day like today, when we're sacked in by the clouds, so much of what can be seen in the heavens seems largely veiled. And you might think, well, there's not much then to, to listen to. But even then, if we would listen to the clouds, we too might learn something from them of the Creator. According to one source, some thunderclouds hold more than 2 billion pounds of water. That's 2 billion pounds floating up in the sky. Buckets and buckets of water could not hold that much water. And a farmer knows that the the productivity of a rainy day would far outdo his best work, even with all of his technology. Even on the, the summer days when the The forests are on fire. You hear about the tremendous efforts of firefighters who struggle to contain the blaze. But when the Lord sends out his rain, the fire subsides. You see, we could learn something from the clouds of the might of Jesus Christ who created everything, including each cloud and suspends each and every one of them in the air. But even on a cloudless night, we can continue to learn another message, this time proclaimed by the stars above. Next time we have a clear night sky, which might be a little while, but, but next time we have a clear night, you might go out and listen to what the stars have to say by opening up Psalm 8 and looking above with curiosity. David, when he wrote Psalm 8, said, When I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man that you care for him? You see, even David, though he was a king and a great one at that, the greatest one in the history of Israel, He knew that he was small and insignificant in comparison to all that God had made. And if David knew his insignificance, you and I ought to know the same. You and I are far, far smaller than grasshoppers in comparison to all that God has created in the heavens, much less in comparison to God himself. And yet the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, David notices, is mindful of you and of me. So much so that he even knows the most trivial facts about you that you don't even know about yourself, like the number of hairs on your head. But he has not left it to the stars to make this known to you and me. Remember the context that we're listening to here in Hebrews. God did not just speak through creation like we see in in Psalm 19, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And God's love was made manifest through Jesus in the clearest way that anyone could possibly fathom by sending his son to the world to save sinners who deserve death. This is what the writer of Hebrews has in mind when he said, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed as the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So far be it from you or me to to say anything about an impersonal deity that's left us alone to die here on this little blueberry planet. He has not left us alone on this rock to look into the heavens only to wonder if there is a God out there and if he does, whether he knows us at all. No, not at all. Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, came into this very creation that he made 
so that he might make God known to us and the salvation that he has planned for us. What a glorious message we have from him. And yet we do not listen. Unfortunately, many are deaf to the message declared by the heavens. And worse, they are even blind to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Many are as what Paul describes in Romans 1, idolaters exchanging the truth about God for a lie, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now many of us would be quick to assume that those idolaters that Paul has in mind there are those who are outside of the walls of our church, bowing down to the golden calves of the world. But just because you find yourselves in the church doesn't mean that you and I don't have idols of our own. Listen to what John said. 1 John 2, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eye, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. But we'd be very quick to go, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't love the world. I don't love the things of the world. I don't have desires of my flesh or my eyes. I don't have pride in my life. There's no idol here. But I want us to be very aware that even some of our tolerated idols that we accept here within the church are not tolerated by Jesus Christ. These, These are what we might think of as honorable titles, as if there was ever an honorable title, or idol, excuse me, an honorable idol. But but make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ abhors even the most honorable idol. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 10. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Oh, how many of us love our life and cannot think of being rid of this precious life that we have built. Our fathers, mothers, sons, and daughters. Even the life that we live, the very breath in our lungs, we cannot imagine it being taken from us. Oh, we need to fight this fight against the passions of the flesh. We need to fight against this love within our heart that combats against our our love for Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to fight this battle and find any success at all, we need to rightly see the world for what it is And we need to rightly see Jesus Christ for who he is. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to help us as he continues to quote this psalm. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They, referring to the heavens on the earth, they will perish, but you remain. The writer of Hebrews is making a massive contrast here between the creation and the creator, and it's one that we ought to see very clearly in our own mind, lest we too become lovers of this world and so lose all hope. The rest of our text is going, on, is going to go on to explain this first line in Hebrews, but the contrast is, is right there. Everything we see is, is contained in that one line. They, the heavens and the earth, they will perish, but you Jesus Christ, the creator of all these things, remain. So let's consider each part of verse 11 one at a time. First, let's consider the heavens and the earth. 
I want us to recognize this. The creation will die and be changed. Now, this is difficult for most of us to grasp, the the death of creation, because if there is anything reliable, at least in our experience here on the earth, it is the foundations of the earth themselves, as well as the expanse of the heavens above. Consider the firmness of the foundation of the earth in comparison to the chaos of the ocean, which is subject to change with every gust of wind. The earth remains mostly unchanged. Think about how firm the foundations of the earth are by considering even the ancient structures that give testimony to the firm foundations of the earth. Take, take Stonehenge, for example. You could take any, any number of ancient things. You kind of have to get outside of the states, probably, if you think about this, because there's not many ancient structures made by men, uh, at least in the states, at least not as ancient as Stonehenge. But Stonehenge is estimated to be about 5,000 years old. And sure, in the the, the early 1900s, I understand that a number of them had fallen over and were put back up again. But consider the fact, for 5,000 years, these stones, many of them stood upright as a testimony to the firmness of God's creation, the foundations of the earth that are not easily shaken. If you and I were to try to line up a, a row of dominoes on our dining room, room table, I doubt that many of us would be able to keep them up for more than five days, let alone 5,000 years. And so these rocks stand as a reminder of how old and firm the earth is. But it's not just the foundations of the earth that have been steadfast for thousands of years. Again, Stonehenge vividly demonstrates even the the firmness of the heavens. They don't change much either. You see, Stonehenge was used to track seasons and, and, and patterns in the sun. And those patterns of the sun are consistent even for us today. We know where the shadows are, right? In our our backyards, where where to put the garden bed so the sun might hit it best. We know that the sun rises every day and sets again in the west. But it's not just the sun that's so consistent in its its pattern. But consider even the, the moon and the stars. The moon, it keeps its phases roughly every 30 days. You have a new moon. And the stars, too, were used by mariners on the sea to help them navigate before they had our our fancy GPS. So even the heavens, they have a, a sense in which they themselves are reliable, faithful, consistent. So it's difficult for us to begin to even fathom what it means for the heavens and the earth to perish. Because before we could ever walk, God laid the foundations of the earth. Before we even had eyes to see anything at all, God put every star and galaxy in its place. Before there was Adam and Eve, God made the heavens and the earth through Jesus Christ. So the psalmist, and now the writer of Hebrews, describes the death of creation with an image that you and I might actually be able to grasp something that we can actually tangibly see and touch with our own hands. So look at verse 11. He says this, of the heavens and the earth, they will perish. And then he he compares it to something we know very well. He says this, they will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. You ever have clothes spring a hole in them? Maybe a sock gets a hole in the toe? Or your shirts become pilly or stained. Even yesterday, my, my wife got me a new pair of jeans because even the, the tough and rugged denim jean wears thin. 
so too, just as our clothes, our garments wear out and need to be rolled up and thrown away, not to goodwill, but to the dumpster, so too the creation that is breaking apart, that is perishing, will need to be changed. Though from our limited perspective, the heavens and the earth have remained largely the same for thousands and thousands of years, our text makes very clear that this creation is not eternal, neither past nor future. For one, in the past, they have a clear beginning. There was not always something, at least in the created world, There was not always a world and an earth and matter and all the things that we see and touch, but everything that we see was made by God. Hebrews 1.10, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. Before there was something, there was God. And those who would worship the sun or the moon or the stars or even for us who would have our own idols and the things in the world that we love worship mere creations made by God, the creator. And more than this, the whole heavens and the whole earth will come to an end. They have a beginning, but the writer of Hebrews tells us they will perish. I already warned about the idolatry that many of us struggle with in loving the world, but now consider the folly of loving this fleeting world and all that fills it. If you love the things of the world, your families, your money, your career, your reputation, you will be left with nothing. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You might even add here where the earth itself when it is rolled up and thrown away. Do not lay up treasures here but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When he's talking about heaven here, he's not talking about just the skies above. He's talking about the place where God dwells. Lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thief breaks in and steals. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is where worship flows from. It's from the heart. Worship flows out of what we treasure. What we treasure is what we worship. And if we treasure our life and this world, then as I said, you will be left with nothing when it all comes to an end. So instead of worshiping the creation that is perishing, worship and treasure Jesus Christ, who is the creator, the eternal one who has no beginning and no end. For the creation, they will perish, but you remain in direct contrast to the dying world that we are living on, that is to be rolled up and thrown away like an old t-shirt, Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, remains. And at the end of verse 12, we read this of Christ. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Here's the final thing I want us to see this morning. The creator, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will never change and he will never die. Jesus Christ will never change. This is what we call God's immutability, that he is not subject to change like you or me or like the shadows or even like the earth here down below. You and I need to to see this clearly if we're gonna remain steadfast under every trial that might come our way. 
As I said before, this passage is not meant for us to speculate about what, how the, the world is going to end. And this is not even merely facts about Jesus so that we can impress our friends at our next Bible study. We need to know this so that we might keep the faith. For we will be tested. For we live on this unstable earth that is going to perish. And when we start to see the cracks, if we do not have our feet planted on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, we will not endure to the end. So we need to see this of Jesus Christ, that he will never change. Even as we've been already thinking about the, the solid foundations of the earth, if you're reading the news, you'd be like, well, I don't know how solid they really are. Every day there are earthquakes. You hear of hurricanes that level entire cities, famines that leave people hungry, unable to feed those who live in the land. The cracks of the earth are more than evident. And the world is ready to be rolled up. And if it isn't just the natural disasters that threaten our life here on this world, it's the wars and the rumors of wars. Jesus told us to expect all these things. Earthquakes, yes. Famine, yes. Wars, yes. Referring to all of these, Jesus said in Matthew 24, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. That is to say, this is the beginning. The signs that God is about to create something new, a new heavens and a new earth, unlike all that is down here below that is going to perish. But it's not just the earth's foundations that are shifting. We know this. Even the culture itself has been shifting. This is what many of you have been learning even in equipping hour through the, the study through the strange new world. We know this just by looking outside at our neighbor's front porch. We know that the world that we live in is quite different than the world we once knew. And so it's not hard for us to imagine then increasing levels of persecution even here in the American church, even here at Living Water Church. But our Lord told us to expect this very thing. In the next verse, Jesus said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation, to be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And if these shifting plates and even the shifting culture did not make us anxious enough. We even see that the church itself, she seems to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Trusted pastors prove to be out of step with the truth of the gospel. Not usual to find that in the news, is it? It's, it's pretty common these days to hear of that. And it's not just what we hear. Even dear ones who we used to think were in Christ leave the church. How many of us know that to be true? How many of us know a Demas who, who for the love of the world has left Jesus Christ? And even Christian husbands and wives leave their families because of their love for the world and the passions of the flesh. And so too, Jesus said this would happen. Continuing from on to verse 10, he said, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. As many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. With all the shifting tides, the earth's foundation, the culture, and even many in the church, are you going to be able to stand steadfast, immovable to the very end? Well, not if you don't have a foundation that is solid. 
This is why we need to know this of Jesus Christ, that he remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to know this so that when everything else is turned upside down, we won't be turned upside down with it. This is the comfort we have, not that our our hometowns remain the same, but that Jesus Christ remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is in part why you might hear people like Tate uh, refer to their love of the old dead guys so often. You see, in most other fields, old practices are actually bad practices. I, for one, am thankful that uh, medicine has advanced and we're not trying to pull out blood from our arms so that we might be rid of sickness. If doctors were still doing that, I, I, I think other doctors here in the room might give better counsel. But when it comes to the ancient truths that have been taught about Jesus Christ by these old dead guys, guess what? We don't need to advance beyond what they've already seen. The foundation has been laid already, and so we do not need to advance beyond it. In fact, if we do, it would be dangerous and even damning. So the very gospel that those old dead guys preached, it's the very gospel that we ourselves need to cling to because Jesus Christ does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel that Spurgeon preached is the gospel we need today, as is the gospel that Edwards and Luther and and Augustine preach and all who are faithful to the word of God. And this doesn't just apply to those old dead guys. This even applies to what you read about of God's faithfulness in the saints of old. And we we could go on all day and recount all the stories in the Old Testament But time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. But what we see in the Old Testament is this. The God who is faithful to them, the God to whom they themselves put their faith in because he is faithful, is the God who we trust. And we need not wonder whether he's ever going to change. So in light of the wars and rumors of wars, in light of earthquake and famine, in light of the shifting culture of our day, and apostasy even within the church, Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the very reason the writer of Hebrews is writing to us, so that we would not drift away from Jesus Christ, but instead we would endure to the end. You see, Jesus Christ, he will never change and as I said, he will never die. Now, I'm, a, I'm taking a risk in saying this statement that Jesus Christ will never die because foundational to the faith is, in fact, the death of Jesus Christ. Without the death of Jesus Christ, there is no atonement for sin. If we deny the death of Christ on the cross, then we deny the gospel itself. So why would I say that Jesus will not die? Well, let me show you from our text. I've got a Hopefully some highlights up there that'll make it a little bit more clear, clearer than if I were just trying to say it uh, to you. Uh, But I want you to see the red and the blue. That red I have designated at least so that we might see clearly the creation that is perishing in comparison to Jesus Christ who remains. As I hope you've seen already, the following lines up through verse 12 are going to explain what is just established here in verse 11. And so he explains the creation that will perish, saying that the creation will wear out like a garment. They will be changed. 
but in direct contrast to that perishing creation that we ourselves are living on, Jesus Christ, he remains. He is the same. And he adds, unlike the perishing creation that is wearing out, your years will have no end. So to be clear, most certainly, Jesus did die 2,000 years ago on that Roman cross for, the, for, for the, the sins of those who believe in him. But he is alive. Jesus will not die again. The grave could not hold him, and so he came back to life. And, and as we have seen all over throughout the course of, of this chapter, he is reigning at the right hand of God the Father. There he will reign forevermore. And he will never change, and he will never die. For this reason the Father loves me, Jesus said, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. The creator, understand this, this is amazing, the creator who is distinct from his creation in that unlike creation, he has no beginning and no end. Unlike the creation, he does not, is not subject to change. That creator did not remain separate from this creation that is a perishing, but instead he came into his creation to die, to redeem you and me if we would believe in him as well as all of the creation that is groaning and longing for redemption. Do not lose sight of this awesome reality, dear ones. Jesus Christ is alive. And so even if you should die, be it from the disasters of the earth, the wickedness of men, or your failing body, know that this trustworthy saying is true. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So let me give you two concluding exhortations from our text. First is this, look to Jesus Christ for salvation. Whether you have not put your faith in him or whether you need help in any kind of trial that you're going through now, look to Jesus Christ for your salvation. Man-made helps cannot help you in your time of need, be it medicine or military power. Where do you look to for your help? Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This creator, the one who is eternal and the one who has the power to speak all things into, be, into being is the one who is our help. So look to Jesus for salvation for he who rose from the grave will surely rise you as well. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the power of God that dwells in us who believe. So look to Jesus for your salvation. and Do not grow faint-hearted. Which leads me to the second exhortation. For those who are feeling battered and bashed by the world, those who are tempted to just give up because the trials are just getting the upper hand over you, trust in Jesus. 
Trust in him who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God who rescued Daniel from the lion's den will surely deliver you as well. The world and all that is in it, it will, it will fail. People too are even often faithless. But it would be the greatest mistake of your life, and that is no overstatement at all. It would be the greatest mistake of your life to think that Jesus Christ is like his creation in this regard. We all are subject to change, but Christ remains faithful, for he never changes. So next time you have any kind of trial, trust Jesus Christ. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, whatever trial that is that makes it seem as if the very mountains are being thrown into the sea, be it a car wreck or cancer, be it the loss of your possessions or even the loss of your spouse, you have no reason to be afraid because you have a foundation that is far firmer than the very ground underneath yours and my feet because God is your refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. So look to him and trust him for he is able to help in your time of need. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word that is reliable, just as reliable today as it was 2,000 years ago, we can bank our lives on who you are. I do pray that the, the realities here in your word would be rightly felt in our hearts so that we might rightly worship you, the creator, rather than the creation. And so I do pray that we would rightly see Christ and your glory in his face. I do pray that we would lay down all idols and wholly cling to you. I do pray that you would cause for Christ to be our greatest treasure, even greater than the very life itself. Your steadfast love, O oh Lord, is better than life. I pray that we would feel that reality here and now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.